name of Jesus, amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Christianity has become a bloodthirsty people. When did our religion become simply hoping that God would be a bigger bully than anybody we happen to disagree with? That the greatest hope of the burden would be that sooner or later God would get around to making people who hurt us hurt worse. Even you. Mostly, you have the decorum to be quiet about it in public, but in private, there is this little angry grumbling in the back of all of our minds that puts everybody who has ever hurt us or even just disagrees with us into groups of others that God needs to deal with, forever making us feel small or wrong. And I hear it in the questions that I am asked all the time. Why does God let them get away with this? And by that, I mean, why won't God punish the people who hurt me? When will God fix our politics? By fix this, I mean, you know, get rid of everybody I didn't vote for. Is it really such a comfort that God would punish our enemies? Is the greatest hope that we can aspire to seeing somebody else suffer too? A kid pushes her brother and he falls and breaks his leg. Would it really heal his pain if the dad promises to break hers too? Would that actually make him a good father? And what would that say about the son if the only thing in the world that made him happy is seeing his family hurt? God has promised to punish evil. But burning up everything that's ever done wrong doesn't leave behind the good, just ashes. We are all sinners, all of us. There's no comfort for anyone there. And if there is, it would say more about the people who are happy left over than anybody who happened to get burned up in the meanwhile. And I can know all of these things objectively, but I get it, because I feel it too. Some of it's anger, some of it's fear, some of it is honestly just wondering whether or not God cares at all. Because if he would call down fire even once in a great while, at least we would know that he is paying attention and none of it is new. David prayed psalms begging for the destruction that is in all of our own hearts. And it was the very same anger and fear and sense of abandonment that drove him to pray such prayers. So when Christ sits down on a rock to teach the crowds, Understand that he's talking to the same kinds of people. Persecuted. Reviled. Slandered. And he calls them blessed. Tells them to rejoice and be glad. For their reward is great in heaven. But it's more. Because if the very best that you can come up with in all of Christianity is that heaven will be a someday reward after you die, really it sort of only adds to the idea that Christians are kind of on their own down here, and, you know, one day we'll see God, one day we'll go to heaven, but right here, right now, God isn't. 
and in an attempt just to survive down here, let alone thrive, where we have convinced ourselves that God would not dare to place himself, we become everything that the Beatitudes aren't. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but I only want to conquer. Blessed are those who mourn, but I don't want to mourn. And I don't want comfort. I want vengeance. Blessed are the meek, but we can't, for the life of us, believe that it's actually better to be virtuous and humiliated than, you know, slightly less wrong and exalted. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, but not that we would be okay with God, just that somebody else would be punished for not being okay. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and we don't even want those things. It's laughable, it's naive, it's childish to think that there are certain people in the world that actually deserve those kinds of things. Do you see what this does to us? Do you see what sin does to us? It doesn't just anger God. It pulls us from each other and sets us against each other. And so we have become a bloodthirsty people, so convinced that the deck is stacked against us and God has abandoned us that we are willing to excuse just how much fire we would call down on anybody different given even half a chance. So repent. Is this what you want to be known as? The religion that constantly complains and demands that other people suffer worse than you, while Christ would paint a picture of virtue and love and beauty. He's not being sarcastic when he tells you to rejoice. He wants the sinners to rejoice. He wants the burden to rejoice. He wants every one of us guilty as hell to rejoice, because though we have earned our ticket down, your reward is great in heaven. He loves sinners. He loves me and all of my bloodthirstiness. And he loves you and even dares to love your enemies too. He dares to tell you to rejoice without a hint of sarcasm in his voice. Because while we fall short of every last one of those beatitudes, our Lord has fulfilled them all for us. In all of their beauty, in all of their goodness, and in all of their virtue. And more, he would feed a bloodthirsty people with his own. He would come down from heaven not just to fulfill the law, but to bear that cross for me and for you for every last time that we have fallen short of the law's demand, every last time that we have put ourselves ahead of our neighbor, our wants ahead of their needs, and our fears ahead of faith. He has bled and died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Be satisfied in this truth. Christ has bled and died for the sinners, for me and for you and for all. This is not just a hope that everybody else would hurt too, but a God who would actually join us in the pit, in the pain, in the suffering and in the death to free us from it. A God who would not abandon us to what we would do to each other, but join us in the middle of all of it to save us from ourselves. He has bled and died for you, that yours would be the kingdom of heaven. He has died that you would live, that yours would be the mercy that he has bought with his blood, that yours would be the comfort that he has delivered while he suffered, that yours would be the resurrection that he has earned with his death. And in all of it, we would sing hymns of praise. Because it's still a mess down here. And not one of us got less selfish by the end of this sermon. But every last one of us got more forgiven.
Every last one of us got more peace because this is what our God does. He pours it out over and over and over again for you, for me, and for all. That even until that last great day, God would not be far away. He would continue to join us here, now, that we would actually see God working here in mercy to draw near and forgive sinners. Even in this dark place, our Lord would dare to tell us, fear no evil, for I am with you. See, our hope is not that God would bring about more tears, but actually show up to wipe every tear from our eyes, to bring us through the great tribulation, to fulfill all righteousness and make us right with God. And he has done it. You don't even have to die to finally see it. Look to the cross and know that he has already brought it about. Look to the resurrection to know that life endures even down here. And look to where God would make himself present for you and for me in his preached word, in that water, in that font, in that altar, in his blood, that you would know that you are not far away from God when everything feels like it's falling apart. You are not far from God when everything seems like it's so unfair. But God has drawn near to work mercy instead of fairness. God has drawn near to work life instead of death. God has drawn near that we would dare to rejoice in this world, that whatever you are going through, you've already made it for the victory is already yours. Because ours is not a religion about hoping that our neighbor would bleed worse than us. Ours is a religion that knows Christ already has. We are a bloodthirsty people, but no longer an angry one, just a comforted one, sustained by the blood of Christ, pouring out that we would drink and be satisfied. For the Lamb who is bled has saved us all. In the name of Jesus, amen.